Welcome to my Best 11 podcast. Today, we are joined by a forward who, despite being from South East London, actually ended up playing and, and coming through um, the ranks at um, and spent a lot of time north of the river in places like QPR. Um, Chelsea also played for Gillingham, Bournemouth. A lot of you fans out there will definitely know him from his Newcastle days as well um, and spent a small amount of time um, back down in South East London at Charlton right at the end of the career. Today, we're joined by Gavin Peacock. How are you, Gavin? Very good, thanks. Great to be with you guys. Awesome. Marvin, how do you know Gavin? Um, do you know, I know he's that side of the, I suppose a lot of our listeners are from the UK, that side of the pond, but um, do you know him well? Did you play against him much? Oh, yeah, listen, I, I think it's just a, um, a mutual respect thing. You know, you, you see different players throughout your career. And I mean, I played against Gavin on numerous occasions. I mean, you mentioned um, a striker forward. I mean, I'm, I mean, Forgive if I'm wrong. He's like a midfielder to start off with, Gavin, yeah. and attacking midfielder. And um, it's a case where I mean, he's very, very well liked in the game. I mean, I mean, I've played against him, and I'm, I'm sure I've might have missed time to tackle or two against him, but not even a single one complaint from the guy. I mean, he just <laughs> top, top, top draw, like not even a word. And so, I mean, I want. Oh, I mean. Should I say sorry? Or I mean, he's not said nothing to me. So I was thinking, I don't know. So no, a really top top fella in the game. Yeah. Well, thanks, Ralph. But I just rem- I was just looking at on your uh, Twitter feed the the other day again. You cleared a, a ball off the line when Newcastle played Luton, yeah. and I I dropped a shoulder past one player. I thought this is in, and from nowhere you came back, and I don't know how you cleared that off the line. Uh, no. But it was probably one the one the best I've seen. Um, and that was when I was at Newcastle and, we, and yeah. we ran away with the league that year and got into the Premiership. But uh, yeah, I just watched that and thought, how did he get there? So yeah, <laughs> I, I, decent play I, I, rem- I, rem- I remember the game, because it was like a it was, it was zero zero, wasn't it? And that was yeah. like, I, yeah. I mean, I remember the actual moment. It's, it's weird to be as old as we are. And I can literally remember the whole thing. You saw like peaky was you dropped the shoulder mm-hmm. and you saw like cut on the inside. And I'm just thinking, I just got to run back. And like you said, as a ball's going in, and I've sort of like ran, and I don't know how. Yeah, it's yeah. instincts, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and something you mentioned just then, I find quite interesting, Marv. Is there, and, and you obviously asked this as well, Gavin, is there a percent perception of players that obviously, if a player doesn't bite back, you go in there potentially trying to get a rise out of the player, um, especially in the first couple of minutes, you want to put a mark on them. Some players like doing that. If a player is totally opposite, does not bite, is nice, oh, thank you, do, does it kind of psych you out the other way and kind of make you think, hang on? Well, I mean, <laughs> I'll, I'll answer that question, but I mean, I would never go in to try and like... I don't mean to uh, hurt somebody, but no, you know no, I mean? just to I mean, make sure I mean, you know I'm here, if this I mean, is a game. Yeah, yeah if, I, if I like miss time to tackle or anything like that, I wouldn't say sorry because I just think I didn't want that, uh, maybe him to think that I was a bit of a softy and, and he could take chances with me. But I would always try and play fair. But like, I mean, I don't know what we how you feel about it, Gavin. I mean, maybe you can answer that next bit, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, you'll get some uh, players, defenders or even midfielders that they'll psychologically they want to leave a mark on you early of yeah. their, their their opposing player to to say how you're in a battle here, you know. So they leave a little bit on you, as we would call it. Um, without necessarily, you know, being dangerous. Um, some players will just not be rattled by that and just mm. carry on. Um, others, it can spur on. So, like, if you did that to, to my teammate, Dennis Wise, that would actually make him play better against you, you know, because he's 
he's going to get his anger going, but his anger would work for him to actually play better. Um, same with somebody like Roy Keane. Yeah. So it's different. It's just different characters. For myself, um, if I was being kicked and so being a creative player, I'd be probably the one that people would be trying to stop more. Um, I would re- respond in a way that that would make me just play better in terms of I'll show you by the way that I'm playing rather than actually getting angry or anything like that. I didn't sort of react in that way. I just kept calm and uh, and that would rattle defenders or anyone who was playing against me. It was like, well, I, I can't get to him, you know? Yeah. Um, the, the worst thing is if, if you did get uh, hit and then you go into your shell and then you're right. like... Yeah, that that's what the post. It's done its job. Yeah, 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 and they've done your job on you. Yeah. Well, we're here to talk about your career um, and your best eleven players. Um, yep. So obviously, we go those people that haven't listened to the podcast before. We'll go through Gavin's uh, best eleven players he's ever set foot on a pitch with. There is no limits on players from certain teams, ages, eras, or anything, and it's totally open to to Gavin how he's interpreted. Um, his best 11. Um, mm. We spoke briefly off air right before this. Um, it doesn't have to be your your greatest kind of like the iconic players. It could be the ones that meant the most to you in addressing them. Um, so it's all down um, it's all down to Gavin. So um, how hard did you find this? Was it was it a nice trip down memory lane or so? It was, yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, it didn't take me too long. Um, there was a couple of uh, decisions I had to make on one or two players um, my system that I played has actually accommodated the, the, the best players, I think, to get in there. Uh, it's not got the greatest balance, but I'll explain to you how it can it could probably work because some of the players in there are so good um, that, that they would just be intelligent enough to fill in. Um, well, let's, so let's, jump in let's jump straight in then. Let's jump straight in. So what formation yeah. have you gone for? I've gone, obviously, a goalkeeper, and then I've, gone, I've just gone a 3-4-3. Three, three. So I've just got three at the back in front of the goalkeeper. Very Barcelona. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what we'll say. (laughs) So we've gone. um, So we start off obviously with goalkeeper. Um, A lot of our listeners like to try and guess when they're on a tube or on on driving or whatever they're doing or running. So give us a couple of clues to see if myself, Marvin, (laughs) the listeners can guess it before we jump in. And then obviously afterwards, honourable mentions. Right. So uh, this goalkeeper, you know, everyone will know uh, one of the best in the game. Uh, I played with him in my early days as a young uh, professional at QPR. Did he Did he also play for Leeds? Mm, oh, that's a good question. Before QPR? Don't think so. That's a really curveball club. I think it is. Oh, uh, go on, go on. Yeah. Does he have a ponytail? Did he? Is he well known for a ponytail? Yeah. 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 Did he, did he, David Seaman. David Seaman. Yeah. 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 Did he Did he play for Leeds as well? Andrew, you know, yeah, he did. Stat, yeah, right? but between QPR and Arsenal, did. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. forgot that. And then, um, okay. hang on, am my memory fading? Did he play for Man City at the end of his career? I think he did. I think he did. Really randomly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we're talking about the man, um, David Seaman. David yes. Seaman. Yeah. Yeah. This lovely, he, lovely fella. Was he big? Um, was he big, big guy? Big guy. Um, really nice man, but great goalkeeper, and obviously. He was uh, Jim Smith would have bought him at, at QPR then, uh, one of the the great managers in the game, Jim Smith, who gave me my first team debut, um, and uh, he improved obviously when he came to QPR and and onwards from there. And yeah, he's just one of the best goalkeepers of of that era, I would yeah. say. 
Um, Did he come through about the same time as you? A little bit older than me, Dave. Um, and I left to go to Gillingham um, a little bit after he came. Um, but uh, he's one of those guys in the dressing room, really laid back, uh, always up for a, a laugh, loved his fishing. Um, yeah. You know, you know, one of those sort of guys you talk about right, getting players riled up, couldn't be riled up, just very calm. Um, and uh, of course, Birmingham, uh, he was at before QPR. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, Jim, Jim got a uh, former Birmingham player, Mark Dennis, uh, in as well. But uh, Seaman was was one of his best buys, obviously. Um, Go, going back to you, what you just said there, Gavin, about um, in your early days and then going to Gillingham, um, it was um, a good manager there who you knew quite well, I think, that why the reason in that game there. But um, you seemed to myself, it was Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, Division Four back then, and QPR, Division One, yep. your father's team, and Division Three, Gillingham, was that right? Yeah, yeah. So, how did, that, how did that come about? I mean, that, yeah. Game, so- well, I brought up in a footballing family. Dad Keith played for Charlton for 17 years. Um, so I just followed in my dad's footsteps. Uh, I was an English schoolboy at age 15, had the choice of really any club in the country to sign for at that point. And I chose QPR because they were a top flight team, obviously not as big as a Arsenal or Tottenham who wanted to sign me, but they had Terry Venables as manager. They had the plastic pitch, was first plastic pitch at top level in those days. And they were bringing young players through. Um, so I ended up signing for, for QPR, came through, got into the first team in, uh, after two years or so. Jim Smith gave me my debut and I was in England under 19 international then as well. So everything was going really well. But back in those days, only two subs. I was in and out the team a little bit, probably a little bit of uh, impatience of youth from my side. And also I wanted to play a bit more central uh, in an attacking midfield role from the middle, and they were playing me a lot out wide. Um, at the time, my father was manager of Gillingham Football Club, and and they were really doing well in the thir- the old third division. And he brought players like Steve Bruce, uh, went on to play for Manchester United, Tony Cascarino, um, Nicky Adams, went on to play for Leeds. He brought some really good players through there, and I he he need, I, I was living at home at the time, and. We, we came down for breakfast one morning. He was about to go off to Gillingham and I was about to get on the train to go into QPR. And he looked across the breakfast table. He said, tell you what, he said, I've got some injury problems in midfield. He said, um, I, ne- I need a midfielder. He said, I think I could find the solution in you. Uh, do you fancy coming on loan? And uh, I said, yeah, dad. Well, of course, my dad knew Jim Smith from the, being in the game. He calls up Jim and said, could you let Gavin come on loan? I went for a month. Loved playing regular first team football rather than in and out and reserves and all of this. And uh, I took a gamble because I had a three year contract at QPR. I took a gamble to leave to play a lot of games, establish myself in the middle of midfield with the view of coming back up. So I ended up going and playing for my dad for a while there. And um, I think we handled it okay. You've got to be wise. You know, I think you've got to be one of the best players of the team if you're playing for your father. And you, your father's got to handle it well. And like he said, I won't overpraise you at all. In fact, I'll underpraise you because anything yeah. I say, <laughs> I would say that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we could talk frankly after the game or at home. Um, so I think we handled it all right. And uh, yeah, my dad was a great manager to play for, and pro- and should have he should have been managing at a higher level. I think. That's I mean that's great to hear. That I mean, what age was he then, Gavin? I, I was just turned 
19, only just. I know. Is it, I mean, again, I'm not, we always, I mean, we had this question before, Andrew. I mean, I'm not sure if that would happen now. Um, a player in the English Premier League dropping down two divisions, backing himself, thinking as a 19 year old, thinking that he might be able to come back. I think, I mean, not trying to be disrespectful to too many of them, that the, the amount of money they get now is a little bit like yeah. a little bit difficult, I think, to put it's themselves difficult. in that. They also, I think they're also, is there a lot more? a bigger variety of options. I mean, going to Germany, going to Italy, right. going to, yeah. whereas back then there wasn't as much of a opportunity to go and play for a lower half Bundesliga or Serie A team. hundred percent. And you don't forget as well, you didn't have all the agents involved then. There's so much agent work going on and that's then globalised the whole thing and the movement of players. And of course there was the, uh, by then the Bosman ruling hadn't, even come out I think so that was in the 90s so all of that then sort of uh, accelerated this freedom of movement almost, so yeah your, your mum was almost the agent over the, the breakfast table <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah exactly she she loved it because then she didn't she wasn't split going to QPR and, and Gillingham they could all the family could come and, and support us both perfect so we've got Seaman in goal and then we're going to a back three yeah wherever you want to start if you're doing a sweeper or, or if you're doing a flat how are you doing it I'm just doing three, okay? So on a, one on the right, one on the left, one centre. Do you want to just know if one player to start with, yeah? Yeah, one player, yeah, one yep. player, one yeah. Player. On the right of the three, Dan Petrescu, play with me at Chelsea. Sorry, I should have given you a clue there. So <laughs> on, the next, on the next one, I will. Um, so you're playing him, that's interesting. I'm really interested, you're playing him as centre-back because it, it was so well-known as a bomber Particularly at yeah. Chelsea, um, yeah. I suppose at Sheffield Wednesday, a bomber up and down, almost like a, almost like a wing back. He 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 is, and and but the way that this will work out, he's on the right side, okay, so he can get out from that right side, and and the, when I reveal my midfield to you, it will show how it could it'll work where he can uh, get. Are you going? Are you going on the theory of scoring twelve, conceding eleven? Oh, totally, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, that was so. Uh, so Dan was Petrescu not- was he a good lad? In a dressing room, nice guy. He was guy. A, a great and a great footballer. Great know, footballer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like um, Glenn Hoddle brought him in, and uh, he comes into the training ground, and he's like you say, a wing back. But we used to do finishing after training. I was always doing, my, you know, practicing my finishing. Um, and there'd be me, uh, Mark Hughes, uh, most, uh, you know, one or two of the other players, and Petrescu, one of the best finishers at the club. Better than some of us. I watched him and Mark Hughes finishing session. Well, he's way better than Mark Hughes finishing. Incredible <sighs> finisher. And so then when he would get into those clever little areas, yeah. he could nick a goal. Um, but a wonderful, skillful player, great in five-a-sides, brilliant football brain. And really, like you mentioned that wing-back role, he came into the Premier League and exemplified it in a way that I think no one had done to that date as well as as him very intelligent uh, uh player and and he's gone on to uh, football management in in Romania yeah what, what was his english good gavin or, or was it like yeah. a broken english his english was good no no good good english no problems there settled in with with the lads another you know another good lad um one that would uh, have a have a laugh with the rest of the team um not a interesting he's gone into management um, not a leader type, as you would think, 
It's an interesting gone to management, but on the field wasn't really a, le- a leader type, but uh, but very influential uh, in the team. Yeah. All I've got going through my head is what David Pleat said about him. What is that <laughs> about the, oh, the agent? Yeah, he's, he's, um, he's about agent, yeah. the agent he's was agent. quite forceful about pushing the transfer through to Chelsea, wasn't it? From Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah, he was very. Right. The AD was. You talk about agents not really being around. The, I think David Pleat said he was one of the first big agents that was. The, almost like the agent walked through the door and then the player. It was definitely the agent first, which right. I think David Pleat said. It was quite an interesting dynamic, should I say. Mm. <laughs> see, I, I see, I, talking of agents, I never had an agent. Um, agents approached me, but I had my dad. And of course, my dad had, had all those years in the game and been a, a manager and knew all the managers. So that when, yeah. you know, I sat down with, you know, uh, whether it was Jim Smith at, at QPR or, um, whether it was Kevin Keegan uh, or, or Glenn Hoddle, um, my dad had an instant rapport, and they had they trusted my dad. Um, and I would sit and talk uh, football with the with the manager, and my dad would sort out the finances with their financial guys. So it worked really well uh, for me. And um, my dad was a lot cheaper than an agent as well. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Cup of tea on the way home at the service station. Yeah, welcome yeah. break. Awesome. Yeah. So um, we've got Dan Petrescu on the right hand side. Yes. Um, where are we going? Middle or left? Middle. And I'll, I'm, I'm not going to give it away this time. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Right. Middle. You want to? You want to? You want a clue here, don't you? Um, okay. What do you mean, um, international? International. International. Yeah. International player. Um, and I, I played with this player. Um, in my mid twenties, mm. did he play for Scotland? No, right. Um, mid twenties. No, did he have I did he... really long blonde hair? No, it's not Barry Venison. <laughs> I can't think. I'm going struggling for hair at time. Hey, oh, there we go. See, did, a did, he, did he play? Did he? Was he an international for any of the home nations? No. Right. Okay. You said he I was think... or wasn't struggling for hair. Oh, he's struggling for hair. He wasn't great. It wasn't great. It wasn't bald, but he wasn't. It wasn't long, flowing hair. That's for sure. He wasn't for any of the home nation. International. That's what's thrown me. Oh, was it at Chelsea? With... Yeah, was it at Chelsea? Chelsea. Chelsea. Are you playing a Dutch international oh. in centre back? S- sorry, say again. Did did a Dutch? Was he Dutch? No. Not this one. I can't remember if if um, he had long hair by that, at that stage or not. I'm, no. I'm going to say is is he is he French? He's French. Oh, I didn't realise when he came to the club. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah but know, then Andrew? You be careful because there's a couple of French uh, defenders, centre backs that played for Chelsea. I got yeah. I th- I think Lebus. Too I, early. With the I, I think did. Frank. I think Frank Lebus too early. Sorry, too. He played too late, or was it Lebus? Frank Lebus. That's yeah, what I was thinking. Did he sign? Yeah. Because if we could have a hair, he said no hair. I, I mean, yeah, like, hair. he would have come in in what, uh, 96, I think. Yeah. I was still at Chelsea then. Um, yeah, he didn't have loads of hair. Yeah. You know, was it, so was he part of the Hullet? Was he kind of part of the Hullet revolution then? Yes. He, yeah. In the, in the Hullet days there. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, good player, like World Cup winner. Yeah. Um, and uh, elegant player, 
could could come out with from the back with the ball, you know, that kind of uh, defender that was really skillful and he had a bit of pace as well. Um, obviously, you know, his career as a World Cup winner with France, you know, 50 caps. Um, and it was well liked that uh, he came from Strasbourg, um, who, who I was, I nearly went to. Funny, but he came from Strasbourg to Chelsea. And when I was leaving Chelsea, I ended up going to QPR. Uh, Strasbourg were interested in signing me. Um, but uh, anyway, he comes from Strasbourg. Um, another guy, you know, good sense of humour in the dressing room. A um, little bit more to say on the field. So a little bit more kind of uh, imposing in his character um, and uh, very um, made his mark on the game. Uh, you, you know, you knew Frank what Frank was out there and not just as a defender, but actually as somebody who could create stuff. So um, he, he'll, he'll play in the middle there with Petrescu on the right side. You've got good footballing brain. You've got both have got a little bit of pace. And you've got some height there with with LeBeouf as well for for heading that ball out. Yeah, and like it. You, you're talking about um, kind of big personalities and things. I noticed um, towards the kind of the back end of your time at Chelsea, you you were captain of Chelsea as well. Um, how yeah. how was that as a as a as a kind of privilege or an honour? Um, I know they're they're even bigger now, but yeah. how was yeah. that as a player? Yeah, I mean, you no know, captain in Chelsea. I'm, I'm sort of 40, 50, 45 times or something. I captain Chelsea. Mm. Um, uh, I, I it was a great honour, great privilege, and I even captained them in the Cup Winners' Cup uh, semi final. You know, which we we did well to get to in Glenn Hoddle's second year. Um, yeah, it was, it was terrific. Obviously, Dennis Wise was the club captain. I was yeah. vice captain. And uh, when Dennis was suspended or or uh, otherwise in trouble, uh, I'd be in there. I, I no no wonder you got 45 times captain in then. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, what happened is in my second season at Chelsea, Wise he got arrested. It was all in the newspapers um, for picking a cab, uh, a black cab. Right. Uh, in one night, you know, gone out with his girl and... Um, there'd been a bit of disagreement with him with the cab driver and he just lost his temper. Anyway, it all blew up. He's got put in prison for a, for just a few hours, obviously. Um, but the discipline from Glenn Hodder was he took captaincy away uh, for a while. And I got on great with Wisey. We'd known each other when I was back at QPR. Dennis Wise came for trials because he got let go, I think, by Southampton, amazingly. He comes to QPR for trials. QPR don't take him on. He goes to Wimbledon. The rest is history when he makes his you know, mark at Wimbledon. Then he goes to Q, uh, to Chelsea. But when I came to Chelsea, we used to we hit it off. Totally different backgrounds, um, but we would all, always partner together in training for skill work and such. So I felt a bit awkward that like I'm now captain and why is it? So I had a chat with Wise. He said, "You got problem?" He said, "No, no problem at all. This is what the gaffers decided." Um, and I knew that Wise would come in and he he would be the you know the captain from then on. But I. I did captain's side, um, yeah, quite a bit, and uh, and remained that kind of uh, vice captain in into the when I left. Really, yeah. um, did it kind of change your game on the pitch? Um, did you have to try to as a creative player? There's always a question mark. Yeah, your players yeah. being captains, can they yeah. do both? Yeah, well, I, I kind of really uh, looked at players like uh, Kevin Keegan, for instance, who was my manager at, at Newcastle. Um, and I'd been captain at Newcastle as well. Um, and, and he would lead by example. Yeah. And I think that's the way I tried to, is, is lead by example, um, 
especially when you're in a forward position, because you're flying around here, there, everywhere. If you're in a defensive position, the game's in front of you, you have a little bit more time to see things. I got more vocal, I was captain at QPR as well. So I think I got more vocal as I grew older. And in my years at QPR, when I was captain, I would uh, maybe direct things a little bit more um, with, with my voice on the field. But mainly my idea was set example to follow um, yeah. and try and turn a game. The other thing about, I think, being a captain is um, you don't have to always be the best player. I think you've got to be one of the best players, but you've got to be uh, an influencer somewhere. You've got to be able to influence the game either with your voice by, you know, going over and geeing someone up, getting into them to raise their game or by doing something that can change the momentum in a game. So a good captain, you know, we're, we're losing or the opposition's got better possession. They'll go and smash a tackle, uh, go on a run. You think of a Patrick Vieira, you know, could change the momentum of a game. Tackle, run, play someone in, and suddenly the crowd are up. Or they can score a goal or make a goal, which, which I could do. Um, so I think in that way, I, that's the way I did my captain in, in different ways to others that were a bit more vocal. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So we've got Petrescu, Leboeuf, and who is on the other side of the three? Um, this guy was, was my first captain, was my first captain. So think Ooh. of where I started and think of... What? Did, was he an international? He did, wasn't an international, yes. For, for England? For England. Let me guess. Terry Finnick? Terry Finnick, yes. Oh, Marvin. Marvin. <laughs> you pulled me out of that one. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking, how could Paul Parker play a left back? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Paul Parker could get a, an honourable mention. So, um, Terry, so Terry Finnick's Terry first Finn. captain influenced your career? Yeah, Finn, uh, he was a really good player. He was... Um, he was a Terry Venables man, right? So very clever, um, intelligent, hard as nails. Didn't mess about, Finn. He would, like, he'd nail you and nail people in tackle. He could pass the ball. He could play at fullback as well. Um, but he was at his most influential in in the middle at the back as one of the three, if you played wing backs or partnering with, say, big Steve Wicks or Bob Hazel, you know, at the big man next to him. So he can shift into a fullback role. Um, Capacible, as I say, intelligent, understood the game. That's why Venables liked it. Like Venables entrusted himself to Fennick was Venables' mouthpiece on the on the field, if you like. Um, so real captain. Now as a leader. So, so you know, the others I'm thinking, yeah, you know, good players, LeBeuf a little bit more, but but Fennick, then out of all of those players I've mentioned so far, that's a leader. And uh, the what you looked to now, obviously, I was a young professional, but all the players looked to 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 Terry, and they respected him. And you know, he had what twenty England caps. People might remember from when Maradona went past him as, as if he was uh, as if he wasn't there in the nineteen eighty six World Cup. He wasn't. Uh, he wasn't the only one, though. No, he wasn't the only one. And I think <laughs> Fenn tried to kick him, <laughs> but he couldn't even kick him. Um, but yeah, a lot of respect I had for him, and. Uh, yeah, my, my first captain and would fit well into into that team. And adds adds a little bit there of steel to the back right. in terms of he would kick a few. Excellent. Awesome. So you mentioned then about being your first, um, obviously being your first captain. Just 
just talk us through. You mentioned briefly that you played for the age groups and and you could have signed um, for anywhere or any club. Did you always want to be a player? Did you always want to follow, um, not, not explicitly following your father's footsteps, but is that what you always wanted to do? Uh, yeah. Oh, you, you see my, you remember the old cine film when, when we were kids, the old cine film, like my, my dad's got old cine film and I'm toddling along at age two years old and someone's throwing a ball, obviously my dad in front of me and I'm sort of stumbling onto it. Um, I, I was brought up around the dressing room in the, at the Valley there at Charlton. Dad was captain, one, one club man, 17 years, most, most appearances of any outfield player in Charlton's history. It's only Sam Bartram, a goalkeeper, that played more than my dad. Uh, my dad was the first substitute used in English football as well. On the day that they first used the number 12, 1965, Football League used it, the number 12. My dad was sub that day and uh, there was an injury. He got on, clocked as first substitute ever used in English football. So captain, local hero, uh, had that example. He was a great coach, he was a great dad and a great coach. So he never forced me, but always encouraged me, encouraged me to try things, encouraged me to not be afraid to fail. Um, and, you know, encouraged me, I think, in the, in the skills of the game as, an, as a kid, being able to control and pass the ball, but also to control myself and my, my, my temper and my character. Um, so, you know, you were talking, Marv, about, you know, self-control on the field, not getting riled up. That would be a lot down to where my, my dad because he was that kind of player. And then he, he trained me in that way so that, you know, and, and having character and perseverance. So there would have been better players than me even growing up, but, but it was decent and he could see that there was potential there and that character and perseverance and dedication took me on where there was players that might've had more skill that maybe didn't have, have those character things as well. No, awesome. Awesome. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to take a very short break um, from Gavin's Best 11. And when we come back, we'll hear the midfield and the three full players. Welcome back to the second part of Gavin Peacock's My Best 11. So far, Seaman, Petrescu, LeBeuf and Fennec. I'm going to hand straight over to Marv before we get into the midfield of Gavin's best 11 for Marvin's 60 seconds. Over to you, Marv. Okay. Golden goal or penalty shootout? Penalty shootout. VAR or no VAR? No VAR. Bundesliga, La Liga or Syria for quality? Which one? Oh, La Liga. Favourite other sport? That's a good question. Uh, golf. Okay. Messi or Ronaldo? Messi. Pele or Maradona? Pele. Best ground you played at for you? Uh, obviously Wembley. After that, I'll go Old Trafford. Okay. Fish and chips, pie and chips or pasta? Fish and chips. And one more, Marvin. Team, all right. The, te- the, the team you supported as a kid. What's the team? Charlton. Charlton Athletic. Oh. Okay. Um. I'm going to go back. You mentioned Wembley, um, and I said to Martha that you made me cry. I'm just going to put this out there. Being a Luton fan, 90, I was 10, 1994, semi-final at Wembley, and you tore us another one. <laughs> you absolutely ripped us to shreds that day. Um, um, obviously, that was a number of times you played at Wembley, but um, have you got just for Luton fans um, in that semi? I think it was a semi-final before you then played United um, in the final. 
Yeah. Have you got many memories of that particular day? Was, I spoke to Frank Sinclair when Frank's came on and I mentioned it. And Yeah, I mean, it was one of the best days of my career, um, personally and and as well for what we achieved. And uh, I'd been on a run in the... So, so what had happened is this is Hoddle's first season. We were, just before Christmas, bottom of the league. Bottom of the league. Wow. We went bottom for a little while and then we went on a run in the league, sort of clawed our way up and started moving up the league. And then, of course, FA Cup hits after in the new year and we go on this FA Cup run. I scored in every round of the FA Cup. And so my confidence was high going into that game. But um, I played it Wembley this is the old Wembley for England schoolboys. Um, but this is my first time as a, as a professional and they were, I don't know if it's the first year or the second year that they're playing the semi-finals. At, semi-finals, at, yeah. Yeah. And, um, but we, we knew obviously David Pleat was manager uh, at uh, Luton and I had great respect for Pleaty. I thought he was top manager and they had one, Scott Oaks and one or two yeah. players. I think it was, they were good, good players. Um, but we go in as favourites, but we but we knew that, and of course Kerry Dixon as well, yeah. who was ex Chelsea, and obviously Kerry was an older player then. But and and um, well, I mentioned the other day actually to Mal, um, Mal Donaghy as well was on your bench, I think. Yeah, ex Luton legend. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, so there was a little, some ties there and connections, and uh, just remember uh, what Dennis Wise trying to kind of uh, get everyone calmed down because Dennis had won. Uh, the FA Cup with Luth, with uh, with Wimbledon, yeah. so he was one guy that had had some experience there and, and of winning it, uh, the FA Cup and playing at Wembley and such, calming everyone down. Before I was a little bit nervous uh, going out there, but as soon as I got my first touch, everything went ice in the veins and and, and calm. And um, yeah, I, so I remember both goals that I scored very distinctly. Of you know a lot, I think Frank Sinclair actually took the free kick for the for the first one, long one into the box, flicked on by Tony Cascarino, uh, flicked on by John Spencer. And, and I just gambled as I saw big Cascarino going up. I know he's going to win it. So I start making my run into the box and Spenny nicked it on. And I just thought as it's dropped there, just make look at the ball, make good contact, left foot, hit it low and it's gone in. And, I, and then I just, I've scored at Wembley and I just couldn't believe it. Just the thrill of spun away. And uh, the lads are all on me and um, and one nil up and we're in control. But until you get that second goal, you know, you're not really comfortable. And then second half, long, long goal kick from Dimitri Karin, a Russian goalkeeper and uh, flicked on by Cascarino. Uh, I played a one, two with Spencer, edge of the box and left foot again, curled it in the corner. And it, I didn't even think, I just knew I was going to score. It's one of those when you're in the on the roll, you just know. Um and that two 0 up at that point. Now we're really in full control. And I almost got a hat trick in that game. I hit a shot from about twenty five yards. And Jurgen Summer was the goalkeeper um, who ended up playing with me at QPR. Uh, made a great save. Um, and two 0 Obviously, we're we're in the we're in the final. And it was just uh, yeah. I I thought I just couldn't stop scoring important goals that. And why is he, Dennis Wise and the lads, they wind me up. Ah, you don't do anything for 90 minutes and then you score and get the headlines and all of this. So, so well, you know, someone's got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic. And, and um, it's great to hear your perspective um, of the game and the fact that, obviously, I was a kid going to the game and it, it meant a lot to Luton fans. Um, yeah. And as you said, I think going to Wembley as well. 
because Luton had missed out Wembley in the FA Cup semis for a number of times in particularly the late 80s. Um, hadn't yes. quite got there back in the day when they were at Villa Park or um, at White Hart Lane or wherever it was. So it's really awesome to hear from your perspective. Um, but we're going to get back to your 11. Where would you like to start from your midfield four? Um, well, we could start on the right. Okay. Yep. So right. Are we looking right winger, right wing back? The, give, us, guy, give Marvin and I a bit of a clue. Yeah, this guy could play uh, really anywhere across the midfield. Um when I played with him, he played primarily on the right side. Not, not really a winger as such, um, but a very intelligent player to get a goal. But then he shifted into the centre and actually had a, a, a many, several years in the centre midfield where, um, where he excelled. That's all I'm giving you at the moment. OK, is, it, is, is this... Player with you at Chelsea? When is it with you at Chelsea? No. Ooh, is okay. he at you at Newcastle? Yes. Has he got, he got two it. sons who play football? And one, I think, might have played in the Wrexham game the other day. Yes, he has two sons who play football. Robley. 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 Um, he, uh, I think, by Kevin Keegan's own admission, best pound for pound signing he ever made for Newcastle. Wow. And I was involved. Because <laughs> Rob was at, uh, so I'm at, I was at Newcastle. Um, Keegan's manager, and this is the team, Marv, that would have, we played against you that that night. Right. You know, the team that got promoted. We we um, we won our first eleven games of, of that promotion season. Um, but during that opening run, um, it became known to Kevin Keegan that Rob Lee might be leaving Charlton Athletic. My dad was assistant manager at Charlton. He might have been reserve team manager at Charlton at the time. So I knew about Rob um, and I knew what a good player he was. And um, so I chatted a little bit with my dad and uh, he, he sort of encouraged Rob to, because Rob's first team was West Ham. West Ham were in the division, in that division with us and our rivals. In fact, we both went up that year. I think Billy Bonds might be manager of, of West Ham, they wanted Rob Lee, so it would have been it would have been a dream for right. Rob Lee to go to West Ham. But as was the case with Kevin Keane with so many players, he was so many players' hero, and he was a hero of Rob. And so he comes up for talks uh, with with Newcastle, and I'd been encouraging him to to, to sign and um, and all of this. I told Keegan, "This is a he's a good player; he'll do really well for us." Um, and uh, he's a London boy. Rob, so it was a big move for him to come up north. M- Middlesbrough were also interested in him because uh, Lenny Lawrence, the ex-Charlton manager, was at, at Middlesbrough and they were in the Premier League. Um, but Keegan told Rob Lee, he said, don't sign for uh, Middlesbrough, sign for us. He says, because we're, we're, we're further south than Middlesbrough and it'd be, it'd be closer for you to get back to London. <laughs> so, and Rob believed him. And so yeah. I thought, okay, that's, that's good. That'll help me get back. And a half an hour on my way across Middlesbrough, you know, isn't, uh, is, is for the south of Newcastle. Um, but, but all in all, it's a bit of a joke. But uh, Rob signs for, for Newcastle. And as soon as he stepped in the building, you knew he was a good player. Um, he was one of those guys, actually, Rob, that didn't used to do a lot in training. Um, he would be quite quiet and drift through sessions and sometimes in games as well, he would just go quiet for a while. And it was almost like he was saving himself to make impact. And then he'd pick up the ball 
beat someone, make a pass, score a goal. And he got better as each game went on as he was playing in that promotion-winning team. And, of course, then uh, uh, the, uh, the next season I had left and gone to Chelsea. And, of course, then the, the years came on where, where they became the entertainers. Uh, we were the beginning of the entertainers. Then they became the entertainers. Keegan moved Rob into the centre of midfield. And that is when he, he ended up playing for England and uh, getting a several, several caps for, for his country. And he really was, you know, he played a lot of games, about 700 plus games. He could tackle, he could win a header. He had a little bit of uh, extra pace without being blisteringly quick, which I, I would always say, you know, Rob Lee was a better player than me. He just had a little bit more in all areas. He's just a little bit stronger. He's a little bit taller, just a little bit faster. And uh, and he ended up playing playing for England. Um and a great lad, you know, I consider Rob a friend today, um, would still keep in touch with him. So he would he would uh, fit there on the on the right side of... Where, where do you think his best position is then? I know you put him on the right, so you reckon I, I, his best position is centre mid. Yeah. But you just and have to think... You have to, you've yeah. got certain number of players you want to put in the team. Yeah, that's right. Because when, when you see my centre midfielders, you'll see why I can't... I've got to put Rob out there. So we'll move to the centre then. Okay. Um, okay, uh, this player was one of the best players in the world. Is or was? Was. Was, he says. Was one of the best players in the world. Was one of the best players in the world. Did it, did you all, did he also become one of your managers? <laughs> Not this one. No, actually, yes. Sorry. Yes. He did? Yes, he did. Sorry. I'm, I'm looking at someone else at this point, but yes. It could be when he, I've still got two. There's two this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so there's still two. This is why you confused me for a second. Okay. Um, Did one, I'll go for one of them then. Did one of them manage Swindon before he came to you? Was it before or after? Uh, Hold on here. Are we talking about the one that I've got in mind here? Yeah, it's the one that you've got in your mind. The one I have in mind here. Yes. Became a manager, didn't didn't manage Swindon. So. But did become one of our managers. Yeah. Marvin? Huh? Marvin? Dutch? Dutch, you know. Yeah. Yes, Rude Hullet, yes. Rude, Rude Hullet. Yes. Um, and of course, he ended up being uh, player manager for, yeah. for Chelsea. And actually was was the reason I left Chelsea. Um, and it was a bit sad, really. Um, but we, he, like, Hoddle Hoddles signed Hullet and Hugh, Mark Hughes um, and uh, the summer of 95. And... I couldn't believe it. I mean, it was, it was close season and then we just heard he signed Rude Hullet. And of course, I watched that. You know, you talk about Serie A, the, 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 the Italian football in the in the 90s, you know, it was the, it was the stuff to watch. Of course, Gazza had gone out there and Paul Lintz and different ones. And, and you were coming through as a player when the Dutch team was... That ace, with the Dutch team and the Milan team, which, yeah. you know, you had Van Basten and Laura uh, Koeman and... Uh, and and Reichard and uh, and, and so I'd watched him and I'd seen him and then to think that he's coming to us now he's early he's about thirty two then so he's past his best but still he comes into training he's got the dreadlocks yeah he's six foot whatever the dreadlocks make him look even taller incredible physique he can run jump tackle pass score a goal and anything else you want to do he could hold off. Two 
men, no problem in training. I'm going to talk about two strong players, no problem in training and just hold that ball. Um, and his football brain uh, was at another level. And, and Hoddle, who by this time now, he, he started as player manager at Chelsea, but now he's stepped off. Now he's, re- he's retired from playing. He's the one to be manager. He slots uh, Hullet into that kind of sweeper role. Yeah. Okay. Um, but Hullet was so good. he could put, he's br- And he's in the Premier League. He's bringing the ball down in the penalty box and dropping his shoulder and nutmegging people. And, um, and we're all like, whoa. And then passing the ball to Frank Sinclair <laughs> in the penalty <laughs> box. And Frank's like, well, don't give it me here. Just clear it. <laughs> but he... It, and, but he made people better players, right? As they got to know, you know, to know that style. And then, of course, he was so intelligent. He he could come out into midfield with the ball. Well, now you've got Rude Hullet in midfield coming onto your, you know, your midfield or your or your back four. And um, and then sometimes he would play in midfield. But uh, just uh, he. I think in my final season, I think I scored, or my final seven goals I worked out uh, that I scored for Chelsea, Rude made six of them, assisted on six of those goals. Um, so he just did, he did everything right. So if it was right to shoot, he would shoot. If it was right to pass it, he, he would pass it. He just knew his decision-making was at another level. And so, of course, then, with Rude coming to Chelsea, it brings this focus on us in a different way. He and Mark Hughes are the first players that start around a million pound a year. Yeah, so you got that's what that twenty grand a week, and we had players in the first team that were on fifteen hundred a week. Um, so they blew the weight scale. I mean, there was no one jealous of it because they were that good, the two of them. Right. Um, and uh, but yeah, my and he did everything with style you know, the way he would play and pass the ball. It was one game, I think we played Man United at the at the bridge and my dad was watching and he said, go and he said, uh, you and Rude, you both gave the ball away too much today. He said, but Rude did it with so much more style than you did. <laughs> I thought, well, thanks, Dad. <laughs> um, but, uh, and I learned, you know, little things from, from Rude. Um, just, just watching him, like, so you always have space, you know, you just create space for yourself. And um, I, I used to notice that with uh, Hoddle as well, create space. But what, what they would do is they would, if you were marking them, they would, you would be next to them. And then as soon as you'd look at the ball, they would just move in the opposite direction away. So the next time you look around, they're 20, 20 meters of space. Um, and then he would teach you different things like uh, if you're running alongside someone sprinting after the ball, if you just knock their hat arm like that, it's not a foul, but you just knock their arm, you're going to knock them out of their stride because your arms are like your pistons that are driving you forward. Knock someone's arm when they, and all these little things he learned in the Italian league, little bits and pieces to get you uh, an extra edge. So I learned a lot from playing with Rude and I, I really enjoyed playing with Rude. Um, in this system, of course, Rude can slip back into the into the centre of defence there next to Leboeuf, no problem if needs be. And Fennec could just slide across to, to the left and Petrescu could, you know, more to the right and start getting forward. Um, and Rude's good in the air as well. He's got that power in the air. Um, uh, sadly, when Rude became player manager, he didn't have the player management ability. So he was great as a teammate, 
but not as a manager. Now, I think there's maybe a little bit of the cultural thing there with the Dutch and whatever, you know, being a, a little bit more aloof. At the same time, he, he knew the lads and had got on well with them. And so what would happen as soon as this Hoddle got the uh, England job in the summer of 96, Hullet, Ken Bates gives Hullet the player manager job at Chelsea. And I come in as having played uh, a lot of games for Chelsea in the first three seasons, club captain. And uh, he would put in pre-season, he'd put the uh, team up on the board on the day of the game. And you might be on the bench. You might not even be in the team. And then the next game, you might be in the team. And, and he wouldn't speak. He wouldn't tell you why or anything. Um, and then I saw that developing and and I went and had a chat with him. I said, Rudy, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm into my final season of my contract, obviously with the Barcelona ruling, I'll be a free transfer. I can see that I'm maybe not in, in going to be in your first 11. Am I in your plans? Because he brought Roberto Di Matteo in, in midfield as well. Zola comes in at this point. And I said, I'm willing to fight for my place. Love it here at the bridge. And it's more of a squad game now than it ever was. But if I'm not going to be part of that squad and you're not really talking to me, um, maybe the club's better getting money for me now than waiting to the end of the season. But, you know, okay, okay, no problem. Never spoke to me again. Uh, put me to train with the reserves. I think wow. one time I trained with the youth team. Um, there was there was myself, I think, David Rowcastle, John Spencer. I mean, Rocky Rowcastle, a lovely guy and a legend of a player. He'd been treated like that. Uh, John Spencer, Scottish international, yeah. really good player, good lad. And, um, and he was doing it with different players. And it happened after I left as well because... Dennis Wise went and had a chat with him and said, you need to speak to players more. You need to communicate better with players. And, and then he went to Newcastle and there was the big problem with Alan Shearer. He took, like Rob Lee, another great lad, great professional. He didn't treat him, I think, something with his number or something like that. He didn't treat him great. So it was a shame because a great world-class uh, player not a world-class manager and it was really down to those man management skills but uh but rude would you know was well i think world football of the year one year uh has to be one of the best best players up there of, of all time and it was a great privilege to 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 play with him for sure yeah that's really interesting did you ever experience anybody coming through like that that was at luton love that was um that just the man management just the they just didn't talk to the players i mean no, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, I can think of someone. I mean, when I was, um, I mean, after I finished playing, and I was um, the coaching staff. But it's, I mean, again, this is not, it's not about. I mean, obviously, me to turn around and, and distribute. Right. Yeah, I'm not but, but you think it's something that's quite worrying when? I, I, I you think, do you think I mean, it's the, like, the start of the end when that happens, or? I think it's tough. I mean, like Gavin is alluded to. I mean, when that, you have a manager who, I mean, I guess great, fantastic player, but to do that sort of thing to. All those players, I mean, it's just like, I mean... And not learn. Is that a worry? Yeah, yeah. I mean, not learn. Like you said, Wisey went up I, to speak to him and then he went to Newcastle and did the same thing again. Yeah. I'm, I, again, I don't know if it's a... If it's a I mean, Gavin could maybe like chip in on this. If it's a culture, I, I mean, there's a, a few Dutch people who are a little bit in that way inclined who um, think or like to see themselves as like, I mean quite superior and then I mean I don't think I think I don't know if it's on purpose but I think just the way they've been brought up sometimes you know very 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 like 
confident, yeah. maybe a little bit borderline arrogant, and full of themselves, yeah. and that's how they see things. And I think the, what you need to do then is you've got to be able to adjust to the different culture that you then come into. And, and like exactly. you said, then, uh, Andrew, just learn. So like if I come to if I go come to to live in the states where you are, well, I've come to Canada, right? I'm now in uh, in Canadian territory. I'm the visitor. I've learned different cultural things and ways that, you know, I can't just come and assert my Englishness all the time and expect everyone to kind of toe the line or to Australia, you know. Um, but I think that that is fine on the pitch. But with when you're dealing with people and, and, and players, uh, that then becomes a, a key. It's a key component as a as a manager. Maybe it would have been different if he'd been managing in, a, in, in Holland. But I've got no... Uh, there's no grudge yeah. from me. It was just very sad because mm. I would have stayed at, at Chelsea and I would have been willing to be part of a squad thing there. And uh, if I didn't play, you know, I think the season before I played 55 games, if I'm playing 25 to 30 games, uh, I could have adjusted to that if it had been a little bit different. But maybe Rude just didn't, didn't fancy me. Um, and even then I'd have rather him just say, look, yeah. not my yeah. cup of tea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Uh, we'll, we'll move you on, and I ended up uh, moving uh, not long after to, to QPR and during the next season. Yeah, so we got Hullet in the middle. Who is next to Rude in the middle? One of the best players in the world. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is it other one and Andrew? No, it's got to be no. the other one, isn't it? Uh, he could play him on the wide, on the wide, I suppose, but probably not. Go on, said so, Glenn Hoddle. Glenn Hoddle, yes, yeah. Glenn Hoddle. Who? So Rude. My manager, Glenn Hoddle, was the one that bought me at Chelsea. And I, people ask me, who's the best player you ever played with? And, you know, there's a few already good ones in here. And Hullet being one of the great. And I still say Glenn Hoddle. I, the man's brain was at a different level. Even like Hullet didn't see things that Hoddle saw on the field. When I signed for um, Chelsea from Newcastle, uh, Kevin Keegan called me up and said, you're, you're leaving one big club to go to another. He said, but you will learn more from playing with Glenn Hoddle in training and match days, he said, than, than you will anything else. He said, he's a, he's a genius. And uh, in another era for another national team, like a French national team, yeah. he'd have got 100 caps and Brazilian, whatever. They'd have built the team around him. He'd have won Ballon d'Or. Sorry? He'd have arguably been up there for the Ballon d'Or. He'd have arguably been... Uh, I mean, at his peak, like... We didn't recognise his skill as English. Yeah. yeah. And think of the pitches like Hoddle was trying to play on, the <laughs> style he was playing. Uh, you look back at some of the clips, you know, and some of the goals he scored, they're mud heaps of pitches. Um, but, I mean, he could... You'd be in a keep ball in training. Glenn would have the ball, and he'd just do that and drop his shoulder, and everyone would go that way. <laughs> and he, he, had no, he had no pace. He wasn't a great tackler. He wasn't great in the air. Um, but he owned the football, and it was as if he, as if he had a computer in his mind that he picked up that ball and he could assess all the different options, and he would choose the most dangerous and most effective option of a pass, and like uh, like a Tom Brady, like a quarterback, yeah. he would deliver it with the perfect pace and the perfect spin. So, so when I went to Chelsea, Hullet, uh, sorry, Hoddle who again could slot back into that next to LeBerth if needs be um, in my team, uh, was played himself a sweeper because he wanted to play this. He was introducing this uh, wing backs and a three at the back with a sweeper. 
and he played himself as sweeper. And uh, he's been doing that as Swindon. And uh, he picked that ball up. And again, he pops into midfield. You've got Glenn Hoddle, centre midfield. Dennis Wise and I would then just make runs, like mm. inside forward position. And I didn't even have to look. That ball would be, I could hear it spinning <laughs> as it come out of my ear like that and just land in, my, um, in, in front of me with just perfect precision. Uh, Glenn was, uh, was brilliant. Um, you li- you likened him there to kind of Tom Brady. Um, mm. Was he very much about kind of, I don't mean set pieces, but set plays, or was he all about just the creativity will take care of itself? He, he, was, you know I mean? uh, he was a very progressive thinking manager. Uh, he, no, he, he wasn't all about set plays, although we, we worked on them. Um, and I'm not about- talking set pieces. I mean, something different. You know what I mean? If, if I'm standing here, the ball will go there, then that will go there. This is what's going to happen. Almost predicting the game. Oh, I see what you mean. Uh, well, it's interesting you say that. Yes, to some degree. Um, and the system, the new system. And this is, if we play this way, you know, yeah. if I come out here and you go, Dan Petrescu goes out there and, you know, this is the way it will go. But it, it's interesting you say that, Andrew, about, because Rob Lee and I, two or three years ago, we were back, I was back in the UK and we were on a train from London to Newcastle. We were doing a, like a 25 year re- reunion of the Newcastle team that got promotion. We were talking about Hoddle. And I, obviously, he'd been my manager at Chelsea. He'd been Rob's manager at international level. And I, we were just talking about his his brain as a player, but also as a manager. And he said, Gavin, just he was a he was at a different level as a manager, thinking at that international level. It's almost like he went up to that top level and he became even better. He said he would say to us, like we're playing Portugal. He'd say that their midfielder will come out with the ball here if you move 10 yards further up the field, you will steal it off him. And, it, you know, if Sheringham makes a run there and Shearer makes a run there, you better slip one of those two in. He said, and it would happen. You'd listen, you'd listen to him and you'd make, you'd make that move because then the player would do that and you'd steal the ball and Sheringham move there and Shearer move there and you'd play one of them and it would happen. So he had that ability to, to see a game in a prophetic way, mm. um, played it in a prophetic way. And as a manager then, he taught us uh, a different style of play. He got us to the FA Cup final the first season. He got us into uh, Europe and the semi-final the, the next season. And then he brought in the Hullets and the Petrescu's and different ones. And we start to play that system in his third system, his third season, uh, very well. And then he got the England job. But as a player on the field, I still say that, you know, be- best brain and... Uh, um, some of the just the little moments I can just remember of him uh, playing, like I scored the winner against Manchester United at Stamford Bridge and uh, in my first season. And Eric Cantona was playing that day for Man United. He hit the crossbar from the halfway line. Um, and uh, I scored and I got the headlines, but Hoddle was the best player. And I've seen the highlights just recently, some of the stuff he did. And Cantona said in the newspapers the next day, he said, Hoddle was like Mozart in a world full of heavy rockers. <laughs> in the way that only Cantona could say it poetically. Yeah. And I thought that was brilliant until I realised I was one of the heavy rockers. And, uh, <laughs> but he was. Uh, you know, it was like classical music watching yeah. Hoddle play at his, at his best. Fantastic. So we've got Lee Hullet Hoddle, who is on the left. Uh, this player is um, not the tallest player you've ever seen. And he uh, was a good, good captain. 
Yeah, I think you've mentioned him before. Oh, really? Really? Yeah, I've yeah, mentioned. yeah. Andrew, you know? Dennis, yeah, Dennis Wise, isn't it? It's Dennis Wise, yeah. 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 It's Dennis Wise. Um, Dennis, in some ways, an underrated player. You know, he, you know, people think, oh, Wimbledon, and he's a tough little, you know, got for, played 20, 21 times for England, um, you know, played over 600 games. And I, th- I'm, I, I think I'm right. After John Terry uh, would have been most successful captain of, of in Chelsea history, um, you know, he, he lifted some, some trophies uh, for Chelsea, FA Cups, Football League Cups. Uh, Charity Shield, Europe, uh, UEFA Cup winners, Cup, Super Cup. Um, so Dennis Wise was a good player, could pass a ball, could nick a goal, uh, though he wasn't renowned as a goal-scoring midfielder. He could steal a goal. Um, very good on set pieces. Iron lungs, like run all day and an iron will. You talk about a captain that could, by personality alone change the course of a game Dennis Wise is one of those guys mm. um, and he could do it all on eating a full English breakfast on a Saturday morning <laughs> as we used to have <laughs> amazing eh I remember we were at Old Trafford uh, we were playing Man United and you know this is Wise's r- routine he would get up eat a full English go for the team walk at 11 o'clock then when we sit down for our pre-match he'd have tea and biscuits and then he'd go out and run forever um, that would be fuel. Um, Kids, but, yeah. if you're listening to this, don't do it. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> oh, actually, I'll say that, but clearly it did work, so maybe you should. <laughs> it just is metabolism, right? Um, but uh, yeah, some people didn't like him, and to opposition didn't like him because he would he put his foot in and he, he was a little bit uh, he'd upset away fans. Uh, but but Dennis Wise was a was a really good footballer, and again another international. I mean, all these guys are international players. Yeah. Um, but you got that that captain's captain. Even with Hoddle, he uh, Hoddle in his first season. I told you we went bottom at, uh, just before Christmas. Southampton away, we go we go bottom, and Hoddle was very encouraging to the players. Come on, we we get this system going. You know, it's only a few months in, and and uh, we were at Southampton in the dressing room afterwards. And Wisey, who was captain, stood up. He said, "No, gaffer." He said forget that, pass, 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 and we'll get going. He said, we need to get out there and we need to kick a few so-and-so. It was very colourful language, of course. We can't use it on the podcast. He said, that's what we need to do. We need to get stuck in. We need to start tackling. We need to have a will to win, and then we might be able to play. And uh, the next three games we won over that Christmas, New Year period, Everton, Newcastle, someone else, and it set us on our way. And the there's a leader, that, yeah. There's a leader, right? And that changes that. And he's standing up even to the manager there. Yeah. And deep down, the players know he's right, and they they respond. But also not doing it behind the backs, not doing it in a sly way. No. He's actually no, no. no. I'm standing up here. This is my belief. This is what I think. So he's yeah. doing it publicly, which yeah, again I think is is even better. Brave and uh, out there, and and that's. Uh, Mar, you know, you know, it, it's you'd rather have that and get it out there and get it done and dusted in the dressing room. There's something about that that's, um, in some ways, being a, a professional footballer, uh, it's um, it, it's tough and it's hard and it's harsh because you, you know you're laid bare there on the football field, you're laid bare in the dressing room, you have it out with people, and then of course you go into the into the normal world afterwards, into the office, and that you can't do things in that same way. <laughs> But there's a sort of an honesty about it 
that gets it done, gets it sorted. We're at war together and there's nothing sort of going on behind the back. Um, it's, and that's the way uh, Dennis was as a, as a captain and a, as a leader. And yeah. yeah, I think it makes it makes the same to the point where Andrew means that. I mean, him saying that, I mean, if he didn't say that, I mean, a lot of the time it will go down the road where things and whispers get out. Oh, hey, the manager's lost the dressing room. Basically because mm-hmm. people don't say those sort of things out in front of everyone. But because yeah. Dennis says that and he's that sort of person, then yeah. it also like gets sorted. And like you said, I mean, I've been in dressing rooms where, you know, it gets thrashed out. You know, I mean, people dig. I mean, I, I don't know if they do it nowadays, but when I was first getting the team, people were getting dug out, Gav. I mean, and like yeah. getting the finger pointing at them. You know what I mean? This is this is this is, I mean, God bless him. Let's see. I think I've told this story before. I mean, <laughs> he goes to Ray Hartford, listen, he goes. We can't we, we can't we can't have these kids kids in the team and I'm one of them as an 18 year old. But I but I respected him because obviously he was treating me like a man, Gavin. So yeah. I I respected what he was saying. I mean, it, there was a few of us in the team who took it a little bit more harshly. But you know, he was going, "I've got a mortgage to pay for. This is my living." Oh. And so I mean, <laughs> if, <laughs> I could see exactly where it's coming from. But I don't know in today's game if that would go down too well between people. We're we're a fragile gen- generation now. Young young people are brought up; they can't take criticism. Like when in our day, we were brought up, and you you know, if there was a problem, they the senior players would shut the dressing room door and they'd sort you out. Yeah, and, you know, verbally, and you know, maybe maybe get a clip around the ear if you were cheeky. Um, but uh, but all that to say is, it built in uh, a certain resilience in you, a yeah. certain ability to take criticism, maybe to laugh at yourself as well. Um, uh, but it was much better for a, uh, an honesty amongst the players, and I think actually made made us better characters. So Dennis was one of those sort of guys. He's a year older than me, but um, I liked him a lot, and uh, huge respect for him as a player and as a, as a captain. And you know, in that midfield, you got some it's a great uh, midfield. It's a great very, very old. Midfield. You got you got people that can tackle. You got people who can pass the ball. So let's see who else you've got then. Up front, up front, up front. Right. you're playing like the modern day kind of right forward, left forward. Big, I'm not I'm, say big I'm, man doesn't have to be a big man, but you know what I mean. These these three are so good they could do what they want. But if we want to have some little formation, I'd have one just behind the other two in a sort of a, a, a very free role. So let's start with that one then. Who plays just behind? Free role. One of the best players in the world. <laughs> At the time. Okay. Um oh here this would be too probably too easy for you. Uh not not as good as Maradona, uh, but good. That's, that's, I mean, you really put someone I mean not, I, good. I, not, not nearly not as good. good. I know, I'm not as good. What, what um did, Start, did you play you for, go on. I was gonna say, I'll try to, I mean I've got someone in my head, but I don't know. Um did he play for any of the four nations? No. Okay, that's not my okay. Did he play at QPR with you? No. I've probably thrown you a little bit, but... Um... No, you, you, no, you haven't. I mean, I'm trying to think. I'm thinking... One of the best players in the world. Oh! He must have been an international. Didn't oh, play for Four Nations. I might go. Was he Italian? Yeah. You know where I am now, Andrew? You know where I'm going, Andrew? Yeah, I'm just wondering which one. I assume it's been mentioned already. I'm very, very, very brief. It might help you to know where I'm playing. You know, he's that little bit more free role behind. Is he? Uh, you've mentioned him very briefly already. Uh, he, he, he's been a manager. He's been a manager as well. In the, yeah, in both the, the two I've got, 
Yeah. All right, I'm just going to throw it out there. Zola. Zola. It is, yeah. Um, yeah. Why I said the uh, Maradona thing is because yeah. he was at Napoli there and Maradona was, and, you know, Maradona was that free kick guy and Corsair right. Zola was that free kick guy. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, he was he was just for a, a period there, one of the best players in the world. I think Chelsea fans may have voted him best of all time at Chelsea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so he joins in my last uh, period of time at, um, at Chelsea and uh, little genius, just a little genius of a player. He comes in again, another player that we've all seen in Serie A and, you know, uh, he comes into the Chelsea training ground, uh, first day of training, we're playing a practice match and I'm on the opposite side to him. And I thought, you know, again, club captain, I'll just give him a welcome to the, to the club. And I'm not a great tackler, but, you know, I'm going to go slide in and he gets the ball sort of halfway line out wide and I've got steam across, just slide in for a, a tackle and he's quick feet round me, gone past me and I'm sliding out to play and I don't know where, catching a bus somewhere else. Um, and then uh, a little bit later on, uh, there's a free kick given. And Hullet, obviously the manager, the player manager, then he's brought him in. He goes over and whispers something in his ear. Obviously Hullet could speak seven languages or whatever it is. He's speaking Italian to him. And uh, Kevin Hitchcock, the goalkeeper, lines the wall up. Zola sets it up and whips the ball over the wall into the top corner. Lad stuff. Very good. You know, it's, it's it, you know, Zola's done it before, but it's a little bit of pressure. First day of training at Chelsea and you've done that. And then Hullet says something. So he goes, he puts the ball down again and they set the wall up and he whips it over in the top corner again. And then he does it again. And then he does it again. He did it about five times. Top corner every time, time after time. And now the lads are like, well, we've got something special on our hands here. Um, the great thing about Zola was his humility as well as his hard work is he would, after that session, he took a bag of balls and went and practiced for another half an hour, his, his free kicks. Um, so he was a likable guy who uh, had this amazing ability to create and score goals um, and a humility about him that made him loved by uh, his own fans, but also by opposing fans. Did he, did he bring anything else to the to the team? Because I always think that that era was definitely kind of like a Zola Bergkamp. The two of them almost, the foreign players came in. They changed yeah. along, and Wenger, things like that were changing. The diet, the, the way you yeah. lived, the way you trained. Everything kind of started, it looked like it was changing from the outside. And obviously you were on the inside, Marvel's on the inside. Did it feel like football was starting to change and Zola was definitely an integral part of that. He was he was an integral part. Um, but I tell you what, Hoddle began to change things at Chelsea the moment he walked in. Talk about diet. Like our diet at Chelsea after training was tea and biscuits. And there was a biscuit rotor. And you were on the biscuit rotor and you had to bring in, you know, these biscuits. And there's a lot of pressure on, you know, that why is he would bring you up? If it's your day, like you're on the way to training, like you better have some good biscuits because, you know, otherwise you'd be on a double shift. And and then we'd sit there and we'd dunk the biscuits in the tea after <coughs> training. That's how we refueled our bodies. Hoddle comes in, having, you mentioned Wenger, having tr- been with Wenger at Monaco and learned a lot from him as a manager and says, no, we're going to get a chef in, we're going to change the diet. We're going to do one or two afternoon sessions and, you know, all of this massage and that. So he begins to change it. 
uh, and then these uh, players coming in from the continent, they've already got that in their blood. So instead of drinking pints of beer, they'd have a glass of wine. Uh, instead of eating burgers, they have their passes. So, and the other thing they brought in was uh, a little bit more style for, uh, in the gear that they wore. So we would all be in our '90s shell suits, track suits, and they'd be like, "No, no, a little bit of Armani, a little bit of Hugo." But we're coming to work here. We're dressing for the occasion, and uh, I, I remember, uh, <laughs> I remember Rude Hullet. Um, he uh, was having a massage after training one day, and he's, you know, he's sitting there, he's having his massage. As I say, magnificent athlete. There. The dreadlocks are flowing, and and we used to have to walk through the treatment room where you got your massages. Uh, to the car park to get to the car park after training. So there's a few of us have come through and we're in our sort of scruffy track suits and jeans and, and we're trying to get through past Rude and Rude's got his arms behind his head and he's look, he looks at us, he says, it has occurred to me, he says that 60% of English men cannot dress properly. <laughs> and Frank Sinclair turns around and says, well, I'm the other 20%. And we went, no, Frank, you should be 40%. in math <laughs> um, But uh, that was the thing. They brought that whole professionalism with the, the not only the way they played on, uh, on the field and trained, but the way that they ate, the way they looked after their bodies, the way they even dressed their bodies with that attitude of mind. And so then Zola coming in, total professional, uh, genius level on, on the field. Some of the goals he scored for Chelsea were at another level. And I think with the genius players like Zola, like Hoddle, like Hullet, they do things that even top players haven't seen. So you're watching a game, you know, and you go and you see a Messi, for instance, and like uh, Marv and I, we professional, you can you can read away a game's going to go. And you, you, a player gets the ball, you probably think what they're going to do yeah. with the ball. Here's the and then you think, whoa, I didn't even see that was possible. Right. So the likes of Zola do things you didn't even see as a as a professional yourself awesome so we got zola and then who else who or who's the who the front two uh yeah the, the two up there with him or just be ahead of him this one very very strong very very strong player world internationals yeah yeah <laughs> That's That's his one of his legs was like two of mine <laughs> Gary, I mean, one of my early games I, I mean i played against when he's at manchester united oh my gosh you're right, yeah. strong as an ox. Like, that was the, the biggest thing for me. I mean, he, he could head, you know, he could hold the ball up, but he had, I mean, renowned for being a great volley as well. But yeah. the biggest thing for me was just his strength. I could never get around him. Oh, he no. Tall? He never, he doesn't come across as too tall. No, I, and no. that's the thing as well. I think about him, he's just like, uh, he was about 5'10". Mark Hughes. 5'10". Yeah, sorry, yeah, Mark Hughes. Um, <laughs> yeah, five, five ten. Um, but he, so he signed the same day or week as, as Hullet and that first day of training, uh, there, you know, you would have, we would have, um, Marv, you remember, we'd do like a keeper where you players yeah. on the outside of the circle and you put two in the middle yeah, and they, they play against each other, uh, playing off the outside and you've got to keep it away from your opponent in the middle. You've got Hullet against Hughes in the middle. It was like a war. Like try, the two of them, the strength levels were at a different different level, and uh, obviously bigger, but huge was his like, and his legs were enormous. One of the things that people didn't realize is he uh, supported Chelsea as a youngster. So coming to Chelsea was a, he he loved it. Um, I really liked Sparky. He was 
obviously is a, a great player, s- scorer. I mean, a good goal scoring record, but scorer of great goals. You know, not the great goal scorer in terms of uh, like a one in two guy. Yeah. Uh, maybe more of a one in three, but scored great goals. Um, and he had the all round game because he could hold the ball up and he could he could tackle as well. So like you yeah. got he run across and nail a defender in a tackle. Um, so, uh, but uh, I really liked him as a person as well. We'd sit and very quiet. So you see, he was like on the field, he was like a raging bull, you know, with his aggression and that. Off the field, very quiet guy, laid back. And we'd sit on the team coach going to games and chat about life and stuff and uh, very laid back. And I didn't never thought he would go into being a manager. Never struck me as that kind, just my quiet life type of guy. Um, but as a player, you know, su- supreme player on the field and and served Chelsea well. And uh, yeah, I'd have loved to have had longer playing with a Mark Hughes. You know, like for me as an attacking midfielder, making runs off of Mark Hughes would have been a would have been a dream in the right system for the right team. I was going to ask that. Is that your was that your favourite position? Yeah, the kind of attacking midfielder. Just do you want? Do you prefer to play as part of the, the midfield or? Just off, you mentioned Zola's plan. Just off, is Zola's, that what you prefer? Yeah, I, I could be at the front of a diamond sister. So, like, if I had to play the diamond in midfield, I, like the front, which we play for a little bit at Chelsea, or I could play like, yeah, like Zola's there, but just behind a, a front two. Um, that that would be my favourite position. Ozzy Ardiles, when he joined Newcastle as manager, he was the first to really play me in probably what was my best position there. Um, I think in the old, you know, maybe even some of the systems they play now might suit me better. The old inside forward position would have been great for me. Um, but I could play as one of two in if you played a 4-4-2, as long as that guy next to me uh, was a bit more of a defensive player, um, that would then allow me to break forward and create and get a goal. And, yeah. Um, it played to my strengths a, a little bit more. But uh, Yeah. No, awesome. So you've got Hughes. Who is the other striker? Uh, again, uh, you know, what, one of the best strikers in the world for, for a time um, and a, a, a scorer of all types of goals, score all types of goals, right foot, left foot, headers, volleys. Uh, Did you play them at Newcastle? Uh, no. Not Andy Cole? Not Andy Cole. I was banking on International? Chelsea? Yeah. Chelsea, Chelsea International. Scottish? I'll give you another clue if you're struggling. Irish? Uh, no. You might need another clue. I modelled my hairstyle, facial beard on him. No, I'm still... <laughs> was, but he was an international, yes? Oh, he was international. Oh, don't say it like that. Oh. That, makes us, that makes us sound really stupid that we can't... We definitely was, he, was, he, was he? <laughs> Okay, maybe not yours, but was he also a manager? Yes, but not mine. You're correct. But not yours. I can't think of what the Chelsea players played strikers because we mentioned most of them. No, I need another clue. You so need another clue. So it's Chelsea, long hair. No, I'm, no, I modelled my hair. Short. Oh, you mean no- your hair now? I thought you. Yeah. I thought you meant it's him when you were playing. Oh. No. Has he unfortunately recently passed away? Yes. Yes. Ah, I didn't know if the year has crossed over again. Yeah, we my my sort of latter period there. Yes. And he was Chelsea manager, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Oh, right. I mean, I was going. God bless yes. him. Yes. Yeah, Gianluca Vialli. 
Yes. Um, what what a great player. I mean, the career, you know, 60, 60 caps or whatever from for Italy. Uh, you know, Juventus, Sampdoria. Um, he and as I say, like watch the clips of Viali's goals with Chelsea, but but you know, Juventus Sampdoria as well, and see the way that he was a very well-balanced player and he could hit with right foot, left foot, headers, angles, volleys, half volleys, just superb. Um, and uh, another very humble man um, and uh, someone who came into Chelsea and, you know, obviously he wasn't at his peak that he'd been at, you know, in his Juventus days, uh, but still a remarkably good player. And, you know, won a, won a lot of trophies as, as a player. Won a few as manager, of course, but, yeah. you know, Serie A, Coppa Italia, UEFA Cup winners, European Cup, stuff like that. So, yeah. Well, recently, wasn't he part of the backroom staff for the um, Italy the, uh, Euros? Euros. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, big mates with that Mancini. Right. Yes. So uh, Roberto Mancini, that the time together at Sampdoria, and uh, I, we played um, when we were at Chelsea, and Viali was at Chelsea, and we played a, a preseason friendly uh, against uh, Sampdoria, and, and Mancini was still playing for Sampdoria then. So you got that Viali on our side, and Mancini, and during the game, I've gone into a tackle with Mancini, who I loved as a player as well to watch, um, and he's done me like gone over the top of the ball, but high and down studs could have broken my leg studs right down my shin and a pl- another player you know as a professional if someone's gone to do you and he did preseason friendly and I wasn't the kind of player that you were talking about re- reacting to a kick but I was on the ground I knew he'd done me and I just whipped a, a leg out to kick him and before I knew it there's about five Sampdoria players all around me and I was getting knees to the head and punches and they give me mafia style right um <laughs> And uh, and then afterwards we went for this m- a meal, uh, an Italian restaurant afterwards. And of course, uh, Viali is just treated like uh, royalty um, and, and Hullet too. And um, we get free meal and all this. And then Mancini walks in, because he's big mates with Viali, and he comes up to me and he says, you know, sorry about the, the tackle. Um, but uh, that's the... They had a, a good relationship, and and, and Viali was just a very, uh, just this great great player on the field, but a very um, a very ordinary person off the field. Like you could talk to anyone, um, even with all this greatness. So I remember, you know, he's come to to London. This Italian owner of Italian restaurant in London gets hold of me, says, "Get Viali. Can you get Viali to come for a meal here? You know, and have a picture done." I can't even remember the name of the restaurant. He said, I'll "Give you a grand." thousand pound for him to come and I said uh well I'll ask him anyway he agrees to come and my my wife Amanda came with me that night we brought my mother-in-law Mary who hasn't got a clue about football and she stood there and Luca chats to Mary my mum mother-in-law all night long just about life and different things and <laughs> and 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 when he recently died she she remembers that and she right. he, he's such a nice man he chatted to me all evening didn't really she didn't really know who he was and uh, at the end of the evening, the guy the owners he gives me his thousand pounds to give to uh, Luca, and I say, "He go, Luca. They just give this to you as a thank you for coming." And he just wouldn't. He said, oh, "You, you have that at yours." He said, "I, uh, I don't want anything, and it's uh, it's a pleasure to do it." So that's nice when you just know that there are good good guys mm. like that 
right. at very heights, but maintained a, if you like, a low posture in terms of a humility with other yes. people. Zola was like that too. Zola, the quick little story on Zola, because you want little yeah. stories. He played in my testimonial match for QPR and I got Chelsea to come down. It was Zola's last game for Chelsea in a Chelsea shirt. I asked him before the game, can I have your shirt, Franco, for my boy, Jake, uh, number 10. And after the game, I've got loads going on with my testimonial and I thought, oh, he'll forget, he's busy. Anyway, comes out, the kit man's got it, signed to Jake, Jan Franco Zola. So oh. silver pen, all this. And um, just the mark of the man, you know, just still remembered. And uh, took it home and had it about a week. And uh, I saw it in the, hanging up on the washing line. My wife washed it. And, and she washed the autograph out. And I said, you can't, you've washed the autograph? She, yeah, but it was dirty and sweaty. I said, no, it had Gianfranco Zola's autograph on the last shirt he wore for Chelsea. So my son still got the shirt, but he didn't have the signature, but we've got the memories. Uh-huh. Uh, that, that was the idea of it. It's supposed to have the sweat and Gianfranco Zola's. <laughs> exactly. Oh, love it. Marvin, yeah. over to you. Last two. Yes, uh, Darren. So, I mean, I, I mean, I know, and I'm sure there's some people who follow you know um, a little bit what you're doing now. Just, I mean, just tell us what you've been doing since you've stepped away from the game, sort of thing. Oh, sure. You don't want a manager, though. I was thinking manager. First, oh, Marvin. yeah, the manager. Sorry, the manager. <laughs> oh. Manager. Sorry. Sorry, okay. manager. I had some great managers: Ozzy, Jim Smith, Ozzy Ardiles, yeah. Terry Venables, uh, Jerry Francis, but um, and my dad. But I'm going to go for Kevin Keegan. Uh, just a mo- talk about motivator of men. Um, Kevin came into Newcastle and he just set the place alight. And he, his pure ability to 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 get players and to bring the best out of each player was um, was at another level in a way that like Hoodit didn't have. Um, he didn't have the tactical brain that uh, Hoddle had, but in terms of what he did for Newcastle was another level. He, were you he, he surprised said to me, when he when he when he I don't want to say snapped, but when he he flipped? Were you surprised when you saw that? Did he always have it in him? Because he was so passionate, yeah, and he had that little bit of edge, uh, even in his game. When remember, we sent off uh, Liverpool yeah. leads, he punched really Billy Bremner. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he had that in him, Kevin. Um, but I mean, obviously, Fergie was the master at the mind games. Um, but but to give you an example of his uh, man management. First game in charge is Bristol City at home at, at St. James's Park. They, it was packed to the rafters with 5,000 locked out because they just want to see Keegan. He'd been a former player at Newcastle as well. He's come back as manager. He'd been in Marbella for seven years, retired, playing golf with Sean Connery, his mate. And uh, he comes back and he doesn't really know the, the second division, which is the tier we were in then. Didn't know the players at the club, but he'd seen a few videos. And he's going around the dressing room before the game, he's, I see him speaking to people quietly. Lee Clark, David Kelly gets to me. He says, and I've been scoring goals that season. He says, you're the man for that. You're the one. 20 goals this year, you're the, you're the one. He said, Bill Shankly used to say to me, obviously Bill Shankly, the great Liverpool manager, a legendary manager of old, who treated Keegan like a son. Bill Shankly said to me, just go out there and drop hand grenades all over the field. You know, otherwise you, you're the danger man. You just go out and cause trouble. And I thought, God, you know, Shankly said that to Keegan. And now Keegan's saying that to me. And Keegan's been a hero of mine. I had his poster on my bedroom wall. I just walked out of that tunnel. I ran all day. I 
made two goals and, you know, I think I might have been man of the match. And this is an example of drawing out the best in someone. And, and uh, I used to say from then on, Keegan is a great motivator of men. Um, and then I remember when he got the England manager's job, first game, I think it was Poland at Wembley, poor skulls, uh, he gets a hat-trick uh, in that game, attacking midfielder, says in the paper, the next day I was reading the paper, he says, Kevin Keegan's a great motivator of men. And I was thinking, exactly, that's what I've been telling people for years. And then I read on, he said, he said to me before the game, Bill Shankly used to say to me, just go out there and drop that grenade. <laughs> And I thought, ah, oh, I thought I was special, but uh, <laughs> he obviously knew what to say to certain players to make them tick. And and that's why I go for for Keegan as my manager. Awesome. Uh, Honourable mentions for players would be Les Ferdinand, played with him at QPR, Andy Cole, one of the best Premier League strikers, Peter Crouch. Look at QPR. Crouch yeah. yeah, QPR, but look at his record for England as goals mm. for games yeah. and, uh, and his Premier League record. And then uh, maybe a Paul Parker and a Jamie Redknapp. I played with Jamie Redknapp at yeah. Bournemouth. I was going to say, they haven't mentioned much about your Bournemouth time. I know. Yeah, it was a brief year there. Jamie was just coming through. He was in the first team at 16. Uh, but I was there with, with Harry, as in Harry being a young manager. And yeah, I enjoyed playing for Harry. We were in the old second division there. Awesome. So, Marvin, now you can ask Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gavin, so yeah, I mean, can you just speak a little bit about what you've been up to since you've stopped or put the boots away? If you still put the boots away, you might still do a little bit of um, guest playing here and there or, or celebrity playing. Um, yeah, what, what, what have you been up to? Yeah, so um, when I retired from playing in 2002, I, I worked for the BBC and, uh, on the television, radio, Match of the Day, Football Focus, all of the big shows there and loved the media career. I, I was considering management or media. I, media was getting bigger. I thought I'd go that route and see. And it went quite well for me. And I was really enjoying it. I was going to World Cups, doing the World Cups at the BBC, and I would have carried on. Um, but then I left uh, in 2008 to come to Canada to, to finish my theological studies. I've been a Christian since I was 18. So the whole time of being a, a, a footballer, but never really sensed the call to ministry um, until around about 2006. And then I started doing some studies in England. And then I said to my wife, Amanda, I think I'm going to give it up, the second dream career to pursue this. And um, people will think I'm crazy, but I think this is what I need to do. And then I thought about, well, because my profile was quite high then in the UK because I was on telly all the time. What about coming away to anonymity where no one knows who I am and I can do my studies and maybe we'll go back after then. And 2008, we knew Canada. We've been coming to Western Canada here quite a, a bit. And uh, we came on a three-year visa. I was on a student visa. Uh, we lived off our savings. I couldn't earn money for three years. Um, lived in a, a, a small house for a while there and took our kids, obviously 15 and 12 they were at the time, so difficult ages. And uh, yeah, and then... I've we've ended up staying here now it's 14 years and I'm a, a one of the pastors in a church here in in Calvary Calvary Grace Church and and so I'm part of the leadership team of the church and I do some preaching and teaching and counseling and um and it's uh yeah it's a it's not a job that gets the headlines but it's a great privilege to to walk with people through the higher points of their lives and the low points of their lives and obviously I'm teaching you know, from, from the Bible. And um, 
and that's what what I do now. Um, and I, I wrote my autobiography about a year ago, a greater yeah, glory. That, yeah, what's it called? Yeah. Sorry, a greater glory Fantastic. from pitch glory. to pulpit. Yeah, from pit. The subtitle is from pitch to pulpit, and I, I've just it's a story of my career, obviously a sports biography, but it's it's more than that. It's really it's a story of life in all of its complexities. Uh, set against the backdrop of the beautiful game, but with a little bit of the light of my Christian faith on it. And you don't have to be a Christian to read it, but uh, it's, um, it, I think it appeals to a cross section of people. And I talk yeah. about all, lots of these players and, and the different stories in that. But there's just more than, more to life than football fame and fortune. There's a, a greater glory to, to be had. And, and I see that in, in, in the Bible as, as knowing the, Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. Yeah. So when you're in doing your doing, um, do you call it sermons? I suppose is that what's yeah, you, yeah. yeah. So when you're doing your sermons, do um, do you get do they understand or do you get an opportunity to use much of your your past football life? <laughs> do they get it? I could have come, come anywhere else in the world and they really be keen on football, but no, the Canadians aren't too keen. They don't really know too much. I mean, they, obviously, my people know that I I was a professional footballer and. There's one or two in the congregation that that, that like football, but it, it's hockey is the big thing here. Right. Um, and uh, so was that I, nice I, though? I, you said that's part of the reason why you went out there. Is it still nice today? Yeah. They know Gavin fact, rather than Gavin Peacock, if you know what I mean, the player. Yeah. That, no, they know me as Pastor Gavin. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So you know, I mean, not everyone calls me that, but yeah, they they, they see me as their pastor. Yeah. Uh, as their minister, not as like what I was in England. Now, interestingly, like I'll go back to England maybe six weeks a year and I'm invited back by different churches to to do, you know, preaching conferences. And sometimes I'll do evenings, pub evenings, where uh, Christian guys will invite their mates along that aren't Christians and I'll do a talk, like faith and football talk. And, um, and, and of course, in England, I've got that little connection with the football to people still. But as the years have passed, obviously I get a little bit more distant from football. And in the church, people just see me as coming to as a, as a visiting preacher. And uh, but there is that that life I had and that was given from God too. And uh, I loved it while it lasted, but of course nothing lasts. And uh, and yet it, it's a great vehicle to connect to people um through the football because you know even if you think of football you think of the stadium, it's like a place of worship, right? People go and there's a, the focus is on those players. People want, they desire to see something big and beautiful and thrilling to take them outside of themselves. And so they go together and to do it together and be united in doing it. And you know, so the Bible tells us we were made to worship God and to be together in doing that. And there's, so there's echoes in, in the human soul of a desire for glory, uh, which, God is the ultimate uh, fulfiller of that, but football is an echo of that. And so you can connect to people, even in those, um, even in the way that human beings are wired, uh, even in the way they like their sport, to connect them to what what they were really made for. And I find that a, my former career has helped me to do that. And uh, yeah, so that, that's what I'm doing now. And uh, yeah, I was preaching yesterday, and now I'm on this podcast with you. And I still enjoy. I do. I tell you what, I do miss the a little bit of the chat and the banter and like right. the, you know when you get back to England and people yeah. have, you know, the teams and even in the church, everyone knows they've got a team. You yeah. know, they're all, and uh, so I miss that, miss the bit of the humour, but the football that was the very much a culture in the UK and is 
Yeah. No, it's been fantastic. And I want to say um, thanks again, as Miles already said. But, um, and that was Gavin Peacock's My Best 11. Awesome. 